essentially like 86% of 18 to 40 year olds are concerned about climate change and yet something like 96% of churches don't address it at all. Why would people be engaged with what the Bible has to say if the Bible doesn't have anything to say to the biggest things that people are concerned about today? This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. Welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations with me, your host, Angie Dixon. Today's guest, James Beck, is a speaker, facilitator, pastor, podcaster, author, and eco-warrior. We talk about the years that James spent working with Attitude, helping to shape the well-being of teenagers throughout Aotearoa, and his time working for the Parenting Place. We also talk about James's passion for the environment, and how that is impacting his work, his church, and his spirituality, as well as his own podcast, Ngāhiri, which brings together the environment, the Bible, and Te Ao Māori, the world of Māori. It's sure to inspire you and challenge you, this is episode 72 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's James Beck. Kia ora, James. Welcome to the podcast. Kia ora. Uh, no here, Kui. Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, hmm. Well, ngō ngā hoe whā o Kutupuna, uh, ngō Kotarana, ngō uh, Koreitia, ngō um, Ingarangi Peritania anō hoki. Um, engari i tupuaki kei kōnei, kei waitaha, um, i raro i ngā kōruai o ngā kōhatu whakarekereko tamati a pōkai whenua. So my ancestors are from, you know, all over the places. Yeah. Um, usual suspects, sort of picked, Scotland, picked Scotland and Ireland, England. And England. Yeah. Croatia, though, I've got a whole... Um, right. a whole Dalmatian strand to my whakapapa, mm-hmm. so they came into the um, top of the North Island as gum diggers way back in the day. Cody, Cody gum. Uh, yeah, but I've I've lived basically under the Port Hills here in Christchurch for pretty much my whole life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, outside of that, I have one wife. I think that's the right number. Well, for me. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> three kids and, and a dog, and that's kind of what makes up most of what takes yeah. up most of my time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls, boys, I go, I've got um, two girls and a boy, yeah, yeah. nice, yeah. Actually, I, I was researching you for the podcast, and fine line between researching and stalking, isn't totally, it? Totally, <laughs> but um, I kept going, Oh, oh, that's like me, oh, that's like me too. And I was like, Okay, so so here's just a few things that we've got in common. Okay. Obviously, we're both living in Ototahi. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both white males with beards. Yes. Um, we're both married to Rebecca's. Yes. We both have... Not the same one. No, not... <laughs> different different spelt, one. Spelt differently. <laughs> but um, we've both got two girls and a boy. There you go. Um, we both work for churches. We like to talk. We both have podcasts. And we've both written children's picture books. Your one is much better than mine. No. I just... Your one's great. Your one has a point. <laughs> I remember when I first wrote Eliza Loves Rocks. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, speaking in churches a lot yeah. and doing um, stuff with attitude. And so I think people assumed that if I wrote a kid's book, it would have some sort of message. Yeah, right. But the message of that book is about a girl who finds a rock and then eventually finds out that it's actually not a rock, it's horse poo. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> 
is it is it based on a true story? No, no, not at all. <laughs> Just something that came out of your mind. Yeah, I sat with this on a flight with a really inspirational guy, also a children's author, um, called Chris Lamb Sam, um, award winning musician, mm. just epic guy. Yeah, and. He was telling me about his process of writing a kid's book. And I was like, oh, it's always been on my bucket list. And he's like, well, get a draft to me by next week. Like, let's just put a deadline on it. And so I sat down and that was just the first thing that came out. Oh, that's and then we awesome. sort of went back and forward and yeah, and it shaped up to be what it is. Yeah. I um, No, I, I actually think that, you know, I mean, it is nice for some things to have a point, like a, a message that they're trying to get across. But actually, for me, bringing a bit of heaven down to earth, which is, you know, what the whole podcast is about. Yeah involves just beauty for beauty's sake as yep. well you know um if if kids are going to read and laugh and enjoy job done yeah you know so uh, you know i yeah when i came across your book i was just like man that's cool you know? <laughs> and i had as i was reading it i was like oh i've got this idea of what it could be is it that is it this and i was close i, I thought it might be dog poo because it was on the beach but um but yeah no classic Classic story. Everyone loves a good poo story. Absolutely. My my <laughs> four-year-old's all into it. Like, yeah, poo and poop and every kind of word that is related to that is just like the funniest thing ever. We do have a lot in common. That's actually really quite a long list. It is. Yeah. I'm sure there's more, but um, but yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned attitude. Um, that was a, a big part of your life for a long time. Yeah, it was quite a um, long season. Uh, I mean, a lot of people know you through that, but there's a lot that won't. So do you want to tell us what? What was attitude? Or what is attitude? Yeah. And, and what was your involvement? Yeah. So attitude is a an organisation which is basically it trains um, really incredible youth communicators who primarily go into high schools and talk about um, health and well being. Yeah. So sort of centred around Te Whare Tapafa as a model, we'll we'll take that and apply that to a whole range of different topics. So mental health. Um, relational stuff, getting on with your family, drugs and alcohol, um, romantic relationships. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's kind of it. And mm. it was it is actually still obviously COVID was really difficult for attitude, but it's still really big, you mm. know. Um the speakers go and speak to hundreds of thousands of young people in high schools, yeah. intermediates, primary schools across New Zealand every year. Yeah. For those who don't know what it is, what's the um Tefari Tapafa? Because it's beautiful. Like, yeah, yeah. Tefari Tapafa so the house, um, four sides. There you yeah. go. Uh, Ta Mason Jury has this beautiful, holistic, well-being, um, sort of indigenous model of understanding, mm. flourishing and, and well-being, which is um, taha tinana, taha hingaro, taha wairua and taha fano. So these four aspects of what makes us holistically well, our mental and emotional health, our physical health, our spiritual health, our um, social Fano connection health and then that fuddy sits on the whenua so it's also about our connection to to place and to into mm. whenua so if you take that sort of like holistic high water te whare tapafa model yeah you can apply that to all sorts of different health and well-being topics yeah yeah Oh, that's awesome! And so, what was your role? You obviously started as a speaker. Yeah, I stumbled into a job being a being a speaker, which was great. Um, the reasonably well known Matt Stott was the yeah. person who recruited me and trained me. Um, Matt's an incredible guy, and then he left to go and create Soul Tour mm -hmm. and everything that him and Belinda have done in that space. And I ended up um, stepping into his shoes, being a speaker down here in the South Island, and then eventually ended up being the national manager for the for the Attitude program so developed a hitawi team of people that 
we yeah. worked with me and yeah it was it was a really fun season yeah. it was great when I was um just engaged and it was great when I was married and then I had one kid and it got a bit trickier and then I had two kids and it got a bit trickier yeah uh because essentially we'd spend about three months about 12 weeks of every year on the road yeah you know you'd base yourself in let's say Invercargill and speak to all of the schools and in, in Southland for a whole week and come home and then head to the Hawks Bay the next week mm. and yeah. So, Which is great when you're single. Great, uh, great. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, same for me with my band stuff. Yeah. You know, we were doing 40 hours of work and 40 hours of band every week. And, you know, it, I can't even imagine doing that now. No. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I, got, I got to see a lot of the country, though. I'll tell you, there's two things that are really interesting to me about Attitude and that season as I look back on it. One is I got to see a lot of the country mm. and – I got to go to small towns and can and actually connect with the people who live there. Cool. You know, normally when you drive through a small town, you go to the petrol station and get a pie or whatever, and then mm. you keep going. But you'd be in a in a school talking to the people that that make up that community. Mm. And so, I feel like I've had a. I mean, I've been to something like seventy or eighty percent of the high schools in New Zealand. Wow. Um, so I have this really strange geographical understanding of the diversity of New Zealand. Um, but secondly, I started working for Attitude in 2007 and fully finished um, in 2017, 2018, something like that. So I had front row seats to watch the impact of um, social media and then smartphones yeah. and then all the different apps that have come through. I had front row seats to see the the impact that that had on young people, mm. on schools, on school culture, um, on anxiety, on, on mental health issues. It's, it's been and continues to be a fascinating I feel like we're all in a big experiment, you yeah. know, to see how these things change who we are and how we relate to one another for for good and for bad. Yeah. And so you were you were at Attitude, like you say, for quite a long time and then ended up working for Parenting Place, which is connected, right? Yeah. Um, I see, I, I love, I, I was looking at your job title there, it's like kaihanga o ngā mea, which is literally like creator of the things. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what a great job title. <laughs> yeah. That's the benefit of getting to write your own job description. Yeah. I got to create my own job title. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I went from managing attitude and then I stepped from, uh, attitude, which is kind of the youth expression or was the youth expression of what parenting place was doing into the parenting places, uh, programming stuff. So yeah. I looked after research development, uh, evaluation and development, which was so much fun. I got to work with some people who are way smarter than me and I kind of see myself as a bit of a translator. Like right. I, th I think one of the things that I add to conversations is I can understand complex things and then I work out ways to communicate them more simply but without simplifying them. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was... Because you don't want to dumb it down. No, and it's really easy to do that. Yeah. As a youth communicator, that was a big part of what I did. Mm. And then I brought some of those skills across to um, looking at parenting programs and parenting yeah, right. approaches. And, and I think that was what I was able to bring in that space. Yeah. Because people are pretty astute, right? Like they can tell if you're, if you've dumbed it down for them, it's almost patronizing, you know? Um, yeah. And yet if, if you've just taken something that can be quite complex and make it simple to understand people really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, what a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, at least that's what I try to do. I, I definitely think I'm attempting to do the same thing in the church space as yeah. well. Um, like I love the Bible and I, but it's, 
it's actually complicated and Very complex yeah. and to engage with it as if it's not to pull out these simple truths mm. and you know pull scripture out of context and just declare that maybe there's a place for that I don't know but but to be able to take what is complex and communicate it simply without simplifying it I think is a, is really important for the church yeah yeah and as you've come on I guess you've you've honed and developed that skill as well. So you've taken what you did with attitude for a long time, um, brought that into that research and and um, programming kind of stuff, um, and now you're working with Wilberforce Foundation and with your church mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I, I love seeing that journey of going. Oh, actually, nothing's wasted. Eh? Like it's all it's all helping get to the next thing that you're doing. And yeah, I mean, I think God's a great weaver. You know. Um, Herangatira, yeah, like someone who weaves groups of things together and yeah. pulls them together. Um, and yeah, I very much agree that nothing's wasted. So I haven't lived my life with a whole bunch of goals, yeah. <laughs> and I still don't. Yeah, uh, my my approach to life has has been and will continue to be to just be faithful in the present yeah. with doing a good job of the thing that's in front of me, mm. and trusting that God will use that and is also preparing me for the thing that will will come next. Yeah, right. And so just kind of like noticing what you're noticing. Yeah, I heard someone say that recently and and I went, that's actually really profound to be aware of what you are noticing, Mm. you know, and what those things are that are coming up for you that are that are the things that are in front of you. But so many times we just meander on through life and don't notice those things. Yeah. Um, One of those things for you has been stuff around the environment. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's something that you're quite passionate about. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a few different ways over the next little bit. How did you become passionate about that? Was it a something you were always into? Was it um, like, was there a key moment or series of moments that kind of pushed you into going, actually, I've got to think about this well? Mm. Yeah. Well, I grew up on a, I grew up on a farm in Waihora, so out Salwyn Way. Uh, so I was always involved in growing food from a really young age. My family grew calla lilies and cabbages and tomatoes and I worked in greenhouses and, you know, so I had a very agrarian sort of childhood, which introduced me into a really specific way of engaging with the whenua, which is it's there for us to use and for us to make it productive. And, uh, yeah, that, that sort of view Mm. of, of the whole point of creation. It's there to serve us as humans and we're sort of separate from it, sort of stepping into a theological view of the whenua here. And then when I was like 19, I had a crazy experience with God and became a Christian and got really Mm. involved in churches. And so that became my whole like frame of reference, but got involved in, uh, again, a church that its theology was very focused on how we get people to heaven. Um, So again, it was a disconnected theology from from the reality of how we bring heaven here, which is why I love the name of your podcast, mm. by the way. Um, and so those two things sort of went together. So I had a very sort of dualistic view of, of matter yeah. and of spirituality as a result of all of that stuff. I think I can't actually remember when it was, it must've been like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. I got invited wearing my attitude hat to be a part of this uh, environmental camp. And we were asked to bring some, some sort of cordial about how we how we communicate. Um, one of the big issues in the environmental movement has been there's this core message to communicate that for whatever reason a whole bunch of people still aren't engaged with. 
So I think that's how we ended up there. But we spent, I don't know, five days at this camp. And I still remember they put on the movie. No, I remember the movie. What was it called? Called Home. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Beautiful, beautifully um, shot. The cinematography is just amazing. And it just gave a snapshot of where we are um, in terms of mankind and our relationship to and the impact that we're having on the planet. Yeah. And it was crazy and it messed me up and it started this journey for me. But to be honest, the so I made a whole bunch of significant shifts in my life mm. and became a vegetarian and um, and tried to reduce rubbish and did, did like a, a lot of stuff. And then I actually just became so overwhelmed by the state of the brokenness of environmental stuff that I became really nihilistic about it and was like, I actually don't think I can do anything and kind of parked that as a thing. And mm. when all I can do right now is try and stop young people in New Zealand from killing themselves because that's yeah. a problem that maybe I can actually have some sort of impact on. So I put yeah. all of my like time, energy and focus into the work I was doing in and through Attitude. But this nagging, this thing matters continued to sort of bubble away for me. And so I think it was maybe 2014, 2015, I had a few significant run-ins with Jesus around that time. One happened on top of a mountain and one happened next to a river. And it's the river one. That's how I stumbled back into going, nah, I need to really step into this and take mm. this seriously in terms of the environmental space. It's running through a little reserve um, next to a river and the reserve was just, like I could see it, it was just, degraded right someone had clearly done some planting at some point but uh this really annoying noxious weed called tradescantia had taken over and was just smothering everything and nothing was regenerating and i had that uh terrifying but amazing thought which you should be really careful to think which is man someone should do something about this yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm a really big fan of cautiously encouraging people to pay attention to those someone should do something about this moments. Yeah. Because my experience has been often God goes, why don't you do something about this? Yeah. And that was what happened. And so I started to explore how I, as someone who's not an ecologist and not a, not a scientist, not actually, I don't know the names of lots of plants, or at least I didn't then, not trained in that space, how yeah. I could do something. And again, what I realized is I can tell a story and I can translate and I can round up people. And so I started working on this project in and through my church to go, hey, what if we, when we say we cared about the community, we actually demonstrated that in really tangible ways. Mm. And um, what we ended up doing is a, a little group of us one one Sunday a month, instead of doing church in the traditional way, we would do church by going to this reserve and, and regenerating it and getting rid of the weeds and mulching and planting new plants. So that project's been going on for um, three three years now. Cool. Um, and I just, I got to this moment in my life where I was looking at all the things that I was doing and I asked myself the question like, out of all the things that I'm doing, what is the thing that I find the most joy doing? Yeah. And I realized it was that little project, which was two hours once a month, you know, and so I ended up approaching some people going, is there a way, <laughs> Yeah. is there a way that I could do this more? And is there a way that I could help other church communities to um, find some of the life and find some of the joy and find some of the meaning and purpose that 
our little church had found and going after this type of project. Mm. And it was in and through some of those conversations that led me into both working with Wilberforce and as a result, working really closely with a Russia and eco church to support church communities, to step into and seriously integrate um, sustainability and creation care as a genuine expression of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I love how when you tell that story, there are lots of moments and there's lots of places where you could have gone, ah, oh, nah. But you went, no, actually, this thing that just won't leave me alone, what, what's up with that? Mm. You know, And I think, um, whether we're church people or not, I think many of us know that experience of something that's just sitting with us that's like, no, nah, you just shouldn't leave this alone. And, and yet often, we don't follow that up. We go, I oh, know someone else will do that. Um, so to to hear you going, no, actually, you know, I went and asked people, you know, how do I, how do I do this? You know, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of people would be too afraid to do that. But what's the worst that could happen? That's you know? exactly it. Um, it was really easy for me to come up with a long list of reasons for why I shouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, that total, um, that Moses experience of. God calling him and he go, oh, but I can't because this reason, this reason, this reason. And, you know, I gave you some of the reasons just then. It's like, I'm not a scientist, yeah. don't know anything about plants. Yeah. Like, who am I to think that I can do something here? But you can get a lot of advice for the price of a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> if you just sit down with people and ask the next set of questions and mm. and you're open to, to learning. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool little project. It's a partnership with the council and our little church and the local school and the local kindy and the local community. Mm. And yeah, this, this cool thing has bubbled out of just going, ah, there's something not right there. And I feel like I could help in some way to yeah. bring that into a little bit more wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. What's it been like for others in your church to go, well, instead of meeting on a Sunday morning, we'll go and do this other thing. Like, cause, cause I can imagine a lot of churches that I've been part of, they're like, you, you can't not do Sunday morning the way that we do, you know? Yeah. Has that been a thing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is the short answer. Yeah. Yeah. There are a whole, a whole range of ways to tell that story. I think really big picture, the way that we do church and the culture in which our church experiences are shaped have basically formed us to be consumers of church. Yes. And so if we're consumers of church and someone takes away the consumer product, uh, it's the same as if you've got a like drink that you really like and then all of a sudden you go to the supermarket and you realize it's been disestablished. You're like, yeah. that was my drink. Yeah. I was attached to that drink. So I think some people, no, I don't think, I know some people found it really difficult because it wasn't just my little group, my church community made the decision that we wanted to be a genuine expression of good for the world. And that meant that one Sunday a month, we as a whole church weren't going to meet together. People were invited to either join these little missional projects that we were doing or go and find their own way to be a blessing to the world, to yeah. be a blessing to their, to their neighbors. Some people got it and they were like, actually, this is amazing my life is really full. And so being given the space mm. to actually go, I in the space and being encouraged to go and be a, be good news to yeah. the world. People, some people got it. Other people, it was super challenging for them yeah. because 
the way that they expressed faith was coming along to a thing and having that thing happen and then going home. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Um, what I am saying, though, is that there are a lot of churches that are doing that. And to have a few churches who are doing things a bit differently is probably good for the wider kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if you want if you want that expression of church, it's pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah. It's not yeah. that easy to find expressions of faith that are different to yeah. some form of the status quo. Yeah. And I think, I mean, even what you were saying about, you know, I'm a busy person, you know, quite often as churches, we're trying to say, I oh, know we should be loving people and we should be doing this and that. And people are going, you know, I'm already doing X, Y, Z with my life. And where am I supposed to fit that in? And yeah. you're going, oh, well, fit it in on a Sunday morning, you know, which Again, I can see why people found that hard, mm -hmm. but also why other people went, oh, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, I think, we, yeah, whenever there's a change, there's going to be people that struggle with that. Yeah. And there's going to be people that really embrace that. Oh, and we made lots of mistakes. And if we could do it all again, we'd do it really differently. And we... It was in and through the time of COVID. And so mm -hmm. we'd had, you know, this really long period of time where we weren't able to gather as church. And so it felt like the church collectively asked the question, what does it mean to be church if we can't gather? What a fantastic question to yeah. ask. Um, and I was so sad. <laughs> I was so sad for just humans in general that there were all these things that could have been learned in and through COVID. And so quickly we just went back to how things were. Yeah. Like, great example I'm a, I'm a runner, and so during COVID, the amount of people out exercising and the amount of people going, I feel so good being out exercising. And post-COVID, this is the rhythm I want to maintain in my life. And literally like a month after the lockdown's finished, there was just no one around. It just yeah. instantly went back to normal. Like our ability to, to forget the things that we know are good for us and go back to patterns of living and being that aren't yeah. good for us are just so profoundly human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the church, you know, the church went through a time where it yeah. went, what does this mean? Yeah. What what could this mean for how we do church? And what it's turned into is now we all live stream our services. Woo! Yeah. What a win. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even convinced that that's good. <laughs> I think the fact that we're live streaming our services, uh, I mean, there are some people I get that have like profound social anxiety or or physical challenges that make it difficult to get to a gathered space. I get that. And for them, fantastic. But for a whole bunch of people, it's just made it easier to opt out of the bits of church we don't like. Yeah. You know, you just mute the worship or don't have to do the social time mm. or, you know, half listen to the message or yeah. whatever. It's just, it's actually exacerbated the consumer model of church rather than <laughs> encouraged people yeah. to be genuine community. I think it's interesting what you were saying too about, you know, we've fallen back into that consumer way of doing things where we even know it's not great for us because that's actually like the very similar way to what we're talking about with the environmental stuff. Yeah. That there's so much that we know about the world and what's good about it and how to do things well with it. And we just fall into the habits of what's easy. Mm -hmm. And and also, you know, all the, the things that we got taught that weren't a problem that we've suddenly realized, oh, heck, that's a massive problem. Yeah. Like plastic is going to be awesome for the world. And then, yeah, finding out that actually this is 
actually a really big problem. Yeah, even listening to someone uh, on another podcast and they were talking about how pretty much every way that we've got of creating energy for ourselves in, involves burning stuff. And yet you look at the way that nature creates energy for itself and there's very little of that involved and what we could learn from that and how we could harness that and um, just got me, yeah, really thinking about that of, oh, we, we so often default to what's easy and not what's beneficial or what's beautiful or what's good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's so great to hear that your kind of personal journey around this and your church journey actually can marry together a bit because mm. I know for a lot of people who are passionate about environmental stuff, they're in a church space, well, if they're Christian, you know, they're in a church space going, how does this relate to this space? And not finding that much synergy. Why do you think the church as a whole has typically been slow to get on board with supporting work around reducing climate change and stuff? Mm. I mean, big question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is a big question. Uh, I'm sure, I mean, I'm not a historian by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but I do, I do think about things sort of contextually. It hasn't always been true of the church. Mm. I mean, up until the Industrial Revolution, most humans in most of the world lived in in relationship to the natural rhythms of the world, you know, yeah. with the exception of like Roman aqueducts that have been left behind. Uh, there's actually not that much of a footprint of ancient civilizations because they made stuff out of plants. <laughs> yeah. You know, they made stuff out of wood. Um, so... And then you look at movements like Francis of Assisi and the way that he lived in relationship with plants yeah. and animals. You know, there there is a stream within church history, uh, Christian church history, where people have lived um, very much in relationship to creation. A few things, this is my, my telling of the story, but a few things happened sort of simultaneously. One of the things that I think happened in and through the Reformation is faith moved from being um, about how we live and move in the world and more what we think about the world. And so if you believed the right things, it meant that you got to, you were justified and, you know, you were declared righteous and when you died, you got to go to the nice place. Yeah. And that became like basically an, an escapist theology became the dominant theology of the church for the last sort of 400-ish years. Not for the whole church, but mm. definitely for, for the Protestant expressions of it. Uh, and I think if your eschatology, if you're thinking about what happens um, when you die or at the end of the age is centered around going somewhere else and earth not being a relevant part of the story, yeah. then why would you be interested in caring for the planet as it is? Mm. So I think that's probably one of the one of the significant theological threads. And then secondarily to that, the the cultural context that we live in, like the systems that we live in as a result of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution and, and, and now the uh, upswing of technology that's happened post-World War II especially. We just live in a cultural context where it's the systems themselves are very hard to live outside of and the systems themselves are pretty destructive for climate. Yeah, And so it's really, really difficult to even imagine living a life where you're not contributing to the problem. And so it's so hard to live with that tension that it's easier to just try and ignore it yeah. to some extent. And I mean, I think the, I think 
Christians, especially or the church, just goes, "Ugh, it's too hard." But what we can do is, you know, worry about the state of your soul. Or what I yep. did when I was at Attitude, I was like, oh, yep. "This is so hard." But there's this tangible thing, which is we have some of the worst youth suicide rates in the world. Maybe I'll just put all of my effort into yep. a, a, a something that's slightly more tangible, which is our youth mental health crisis, and go. That's something that I can give my energy to. I mean, thinking about that being your experience of going, oh, look, I can't do this. When you're thinking of like the average person who might be thinking that same sort of thing, when we've got such a massive problem, mm. like, I mean, this this issue is huge. Mm-hmm. What would you say to them about, you know, what they can do and why it matters? Mm. My experience with the tiny little, like, uh, river regeneration project that we run. And I mean, it's small. It's small on like a, its own scale. It's like a I don't know, 800 meter long reserve that's at its widest, like 20 meters wide. And over the past three years, we've planted like 3,000 plants or something. Ecologically, it's small. But to walk through that space, it is like a grounding pole for me. It's like a, it's a centering spot where I'm like, in the grand chaos of everything, at least in some small but significant way, I'm like making a positive difference. So get involved. There's something, there's, mm-hmm. there's an amazing organization here in Christchurch called Why Water Trust. And their entire um, way of being in the world is when people heal the land, it heals people. And there's something profound about actually just caring for a little piece of fenua and leaving the actual dirt better than you found it. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in your backyard or you can do it at a public reserve Yes, there's other things you can do. You can change the way you use energy. You can turn your lights off. You can recycle. You can refuse to buy products that can't be recycled. You could get an electric bike. You know, there's lots of stuff you can do. And a lot of those things are actually saying no, like they're not doing things that you're currently doing. I'm That stuff's important. I really care about it. I also care about stuff that you could do that you aren't doing. And for me and my, like holistic well-being, my te whare tapawha, when I am actively involved in making a little piece of whenua better, it does something deep in my mm-hmm. in my soul that makes me feel feel like a more whole and a more alive human in the in the context of a warming terrifying world and outlook. Yeah. <laughs> like and I think the other the other part of it from a Christian perspective is there's there is Christian hope about the restoration of all things at the end of the age, but the call in the meantime is to model and implement the putting to rightness here and now. Yeah. And when we step into that, even though things are wrong with the world, it literally creates a pocket of heaven on earth yeah. where in that moment and in that place and in that small way, things are right in the world. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love how that's that's going. Hey, this big issue is there. You know, climate change is a thing, but actually, it's more than that. Actually, what is good for the land is good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, what is good for the earth actually heals us. Each of us can do little things that actually connect us back with the creation. And I think it's easy to forget that in this in the scope of all the bigness of things and all the despair around. Um, you know, major corporations and this and that and the other. But um, no, I think that's really beautiful. So you, you mentioned with the Wilberforce um, Foundation. So you're working with them. Yeah. You're partnering with Arosha. 
mm-hmm. um, and Eco Church. Do you want to just tell us about, well, who, who's Wilberforce Foundation? <laughs> <laughs> who is Arusha and, and what, what the heck is an Eco Church? Oh, yeah. Um, I actually have a very fun life. I get to work with a whole bunch of really interesting people and a whole bunch of really interesting things, which is cool. Um, yeah, so I work... I work as a pastor at the River Wapawaho. That's um that's my little church community. That's a beautiful thing. We're just trying different expressions of of doing and being church. Love it. And then when I'm not there, I work for an organization called the Wilberforce Foundation. Uh, so most people know Wilberforce as um, William Wilberforce. The guy who ended slavery. And most people yep. know him as the guy that ended slavery. But he... Uh, that was one of his main things. He was also passionate about the reformation of manners, which is really interesting. And um, which is, yeah, a shifting uh, uh, English culture that had gone astray. Um, and he also really cared about um, people engaging with Christian faith. And he was like one of the founding members and significant to the Clapham sect, which was an organization, uh, a, a not even an organization, a group of a network of families and friends and ragtags, scallywags who created and formed hundreds of organizations that were Christian in essence and set up to be of benefit to the wider fabric of English society. So fascinating. Mm. Wilberforce here in New Zealand sort of draws from some of that Clapham sect legacy. And we know that they're, uh, actually thousands of Christian organizations trying to bring social good and, and do good for the fabric of New Zealand society. And a huge part of what we do is, is fund and support those organizations, but also try and create uh, a, a network of those organizations, which is incredible. I mean, just yeah. yesterday I got to bring together a whole bunch of the different organizations from Christchurch and we met at which is Kate Shepherd House, which is just a recently opened museum that tells the story of Kate Shepherd. And so to bring to bring a group of organizations who are all passionate about doing good for society and hear the story of this incredible Christian woman who was able to harness, you know, and empowering a massive network of people to petition parliament to get women the vote, you know, on the justice issue. It was, it's just epic. Yeah. So that's what Wilberforce kind of is. Yeah, it cool. sort of provides funding and support for organizations. And then in and through that, I get to work really closely with um, Arosha, which is an international Christian conservation organization. They're amazing. Yeah. And then they have a specific expression called Eco Church, which is, helping churches to integrate um, sustainability and conservation and creation care um, into the way that we do and be church. So Mm. that's from the songs we sing to the prayers that we pray to the way that we deal with communion, to the way we engage with our rubbish, to um, lots of, there are a growing number of churches who are getting involved in, in caring for a piece of whenua, either the, their church property, they're yeah. reimagining what a lawn could be used for and ripping it up and putting in community gardens. We've done that or, or planting fruit trees or reimagining the way that their, their land could be used yeah. and or caring for other pieces of whenua sort of around their church. So Eco Church is, man, it's it's grown pretty quickly. There's now 50, your church is an Eco Church, eh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although I think the person who was the main kind of person leading it has moved on okay and so it's figuring out you know who's going to spearhead this because yeah. you need someone yeah to be go- 
reminding people of it, yeah. don't you? Well, the the dream down the line is that this stuff just becomes so normative for churches yeah. that that's how a church functions. Um, in the meantime, we need people who are championing yeah. this to embed these ways of being and helping people to understand why. Because, like we've said, the last 400 years of, of the dominant streams of Christian thinking haven't really cared about yeah. the earth because the whole thing has been mostly about how you get to heaven. Yeah. And it's all going to get burned up anyway. Yeah. Which actually a lot of us are realizing actually that's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah. It's not a particularly <laughs> biblical narrative. No. 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 So, oh, no, that's that's really cool. And yeah, for anyone that, that is interested in that, um, they can just Google a Russia, yeah, um, or Eco Church, yeah, Eco Church, and, and find out about that yep. sort of thing. I'll put some links in the show notes as well, because um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good initiative to yep. to get your church involved in. And Eco Church is really passionate about walking alongside churches, working out where they are, and helping them to just take the next step yep. and the next step, yep. and helping to network churches so that we can learn from each other. Yeah, um, cool. So we go, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, that's a great idea. But mm. you know, it hurt my soul so much when, like, because I've cared about this stuff for a long time now. And I get to go and speak in churches yep. all over the place. And so go into a church and there's like, oh man, <laughs> like I can't handle single use communion cups. Yeah, It's just like, the <laughs> think about what communion's meant to be about. Mm. It's about acknowledging um, what Jesus's life, death and resurrection means for the cosmos of which we are a part of and the way that we are celebrating it is using a single-use plastic cup, which is actually going to stay in that form and is unable to be used for anything else and won't degrade. It's actually going to make the whole cosmos slightly worse, only in a small way, but that happens every week in thousands and thousands of churches, you know. So, like, small steps, like moving from single-use communion cups to glass cups or maybe joining an Anglican church where you all get to drink out of the same cup yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and just wiping it with a cloth. Wow. Maybe the Anglicans were onto something. <laughs> so that, that's how we're doing it. It's, um, yeah, that's been a new thing for me and Bex as yeah. we've, we've joined in the Anglican space. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it takes away that problem, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. So, um, so yeah, little things again, yeah. but that can shape the way that we do life rather than just little things that make us feel good about getting a pat on the back yep. or whatever. Yep. Um, which in the end, like you said before, however we do that, it's going to be better for us in the long run. Um, it's going to make us people that are more connected, more um, in tune with nature, uh, which can only be a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So yeah. before we finish, I, I want to talk to you about Ngahere. Ah, cool. Um, which is a podcast you put out last year. Yeah. Um, and honestly, that was my favorite thing of last year. My oh, favorite podcast of last year was listening to that series. And it was just a bummer that there was only six of them because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was such rich conversation. But so essentially you, you got together with, um, Waiora Timoni mm-hmm. and, um, so friend of yours yeah, and Dr. Andrew Shepard, who's, um, down at Otago university. Mm-hmm. And the three of you went off to the bush, essentially. Ngahiri. <laughs> You went, you went off grid and you, over a couple of days, had several conversations about all the different connections between creation, the Bible, and living here in Aotearoa. Mm-hmm. Firstly, whose idea was it to go, hey, let's just go off to nowhere and, you know, <laughs> like was, how did that come about? Yeah, what a good question. 
I don't know how, but I stumbled into a conversation that was being had by a whole bunch of different people about biblical literacy, actually. Right. That's how it came about. And there were all these different ideas about how we could get people more engaged with the Bible. And I basically said, why don't we look at the stuff that we know statistically that people care about outside of the Bible and then see what the Bible might have to say about that thing. And I mean, the the latest research I've read from uh, Tier funded a massive piece of research about um, the state of climate change and how people feel about it and what the church is doing in Australia. Yeah. Really worth a look. But essentially like 86% of 18 to 40 year olds are concerned about climate change. And yet something like 96% of churches don't address it at all. Yeah, well. Right? So there's yeah. this massive dissonance. And I'm like, how, why would people be engaged with what the Bible has to say if the Bible doesn't have anything to say to the biggest things that people are concerned about today. So I'm like, first let's um, engage with those types of questions. And it's not to go to the Bible looking for stuff. It's like, I know that the Bible has a heap to say about our relationship with creation. Um, And then more specifically, like, what does that look like outworked here in this place and with our history as um, Aotearoa? Because that's a that's another rabbit hole that I've that I've fallen into. When, when I was talking earlier about two crazy God experiences that I had in in close um, proximity, one was running through the river and God going, me going, someone should do something about this. Yeah. The other was um, one summer I decided I was going to run to the top of every single one of the port hills, and to do so I had to learn all their names. You know, I knew the Sugarloaf, and I knew Mount Pleasant, and that was pretty much it. Um, so I learned all their names and I'd run to the, I ran to the top of them. And when I got to the top of each one, I would sit down and I'd, I'd say, are we karakia? And I got to the top of this one for podcast listeners. James is pointing to the tattoo on his arm. Um, <laughs> and I sat down and I, and I had a wee karakia and I just felt like God said, this mountain's got another name. That was it. And I, man, fell through the back of the wardrobe, eh? like yeah. into te ao Māori and to te reo Māori me ona tikanga, like, in searching for the name for that manga, I fell into uh, a history of New Zealand that I'd never really been introduced to because all the names tell a story. And then I fell into thinking about te reo Māori, not as just random words that are hard to pronounce, but names that communicated a story. Mm-hmm. And I was just desperate to find out more. So ended up um, going to Tewananga and that's actually where yeah, we first met. It was, yeah. And loved it, but I just wanted to go as fast as I could. So um, went and did uh, three years of full immersion after that uh, just to just to like learn about this space. And what I found in Te Ao Māori and what I continue to find is so many things. But one thing is, I mean, tangata whenua means people of the land or people in relationship with whenua. Mm. Within te Māori, there are these ways of being in right relationship with things and people that I think we have lost in the Christian tradition. And I think there's something beautiful in the partnership between those two ways of being in the world um, that are mutually beneficial. And so one of the things I wanted to explore with Ngāhere is what does that look like? What does the richness of te ao Māori bring to our understanding of what the Bible might have to say as well about how we live in right relationship with whenua? And then how do we even do that in our cultural context where 
like I've like I've said, the systems that shape the way that we do life mm. are so antithetical to actually being in right relationship with the land. Uh, so that's yeah, that's what Ngahere turned into, and yeah, man, I it was an incredible experience to record that first season. I'm smack bang in the middle of editing season two. Nice. And it's just, it's quite a painful process, <laughs> as, as you'll yeah. know. Yeah, editing's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but part of the reason that Ngahiri takes a, a long time is because, um, I, and I love this format, you know, yeah. interviewing someone, having a conversation. But um, yeah, the arc of a season of, of Ngahiri is really curated to yes. try and like take people on a journey, which is, I think, why people enjoy the experience of what it is but it just takes so much more it takes so much yeah. work yeah. to make it happen but again i actually think that that comes back to my background as a storyteller totally i'm like how do i how do we go on a journey together how do we experience something together and how does having an experience of something impact us at a soul level yeah, yeah. i mean definitely as a as a listener to it you you took us with you you know, it it really felt like we were we were going on this journey with you as you were having this discussion, and and while the discussion was curated, you didn't know where it was going all the time. You know, no, like, like it it was, it really was a conversation that drew things out of one another and um, and inspired one another, and and so then we kind of felt like part of it as listeners, yeah. which was really cool. So, yeah, exciting that there's more to come. Most of season two is actually framed up around uh, Genesis two and Genesis three, so I, it's all about this. Yeah, this it's about our relationship to Finua, but the way that we get into it is by talking about the fact that for most of us, if you're sort of like thirty or forty, our grandparents didn't have supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, well, and you just it's like a really tangible way to yeah. get into how quickly we have been disconnected from where our food comes from and as a result disconnected from Fenua and what impact that that actually has on us as people. So yeah, look out for that. Go and listen to the first season if you haven't already. I'll put um, links in the show notes and get yourself immersed in that because it's really well worth a listen. What next for James Beck? <laughs> oh man, there's so many. Again, my whole thing is just being faithful in the present yep. with the stuff that's right in front of me. But one of the things that I'm working on at the moment that I'm excited about the possibility of is actually in the sort of food resiliency space. Christchurch City Council, interestingly, have like a food resiliency policy, which is about people having access to local food sources that are outside of supermarkets. What we've found out from, you know, the cyclone that hit the Hawke's Bay, which has heavily impacted a huge amount of our food Massive, production is yeah. that we actually don't have particularly resilient food production systems. Um, globally, we found that out with the Ukraine war. Locally, we found that out with the cyclone. And that our food distribution systems are actually like heavily contributing to carbon emissions and, and carbon footprints. You know, everyone gets in a car to go everywhere to get the thing. It's, it's transported using petrol. Anyway, all of this is a long-winded way of saying what would it look like to have more places where you could access food locally. So Christchurch City Council has a food resiliency policy. They also have like a draft wanting to plant more trees canopy policy. And they've wanted to plant more fruit trees for a really long time. But the biggest issue is they don't want to spend more money to maintain the fruit trees and they can't find community people in the community who are willing to commit to 
looking after the fruit trees. Yeah. And so because of all the different hats that I wear, I'm like, there's a massive opportunity here for the church to partner with the council and local community to go, we'll tend to and care mm. for um, 20, 30 fruit trees and take the fruit and put it in a pātaka kai and make it available to our community. You know, that's actually not a particularly big commitment, but let's say it's dream. Let's say every church, you know, let's say 30 churches. I don't know, let's say 100 churches went, we'll plant 30 fruit trees. You know, and we all of a sudden had an extra 3,000 fruit trees across the city that maybe aren't going to produce a lot of fruit for the first five years, but we need to be preparing for 10, 20 years down the track. Yeah. You know, if we've got really flourishing fruit trees, like urban orchards that can actually supply local organic healthy food to local communities, what a blessing the church could be to the yeah. community. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is build is broker partnerships between churches and council to see if we can get a whole bunch of those projects across the line. Um, so that's, that's a project I'm working on at the moment, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us and, Thank you for, I guess, spurring us on with thinking about how this relates to all of us. I, I also want to say a big thank you for doing this within the church space, not jumping outside the church space to do it, because we need more people doing it in the church space to, to help change us as churches, to see this as part of who we are and not only what we do, but but how we be the people of God in the world. Yeah. Um, so for you to be not only role modeling that but then also helping facilitate connections and conversations is, is such a massive deal so yeah thank you for what you're doing to bring a bit of heaven down to earth oh, tēnā hello hello heaven will I hear you whisper to come I found this corridor so impacting and encouraging. Encouraging because every little bit matters. And impacting because our own well-being is tied in with how we treat the planet. So thank you James for who you are and for what you do. Here is a blessing for you. James, may you never stop telling stories. Bringing together complex ideas and sharing them in simple ways that awaken people to deeper realities. And may those you engage with be touched by the stories you tell as you introduce fresh narratives into the world. May your work continue to be fulfilling and life-giving as you combine your skills and passions in ways that speak life into those around you. As you work with churches, councils, schools, community groups and more, may you see the beauty of the faith that you hold as God meets you in your interactions with others, in your work alongside one another, and in the very soil in which you work. May you see more and more churches picking up the work of creation care, seeing it as an integral part of their faith, rather than an optional extra. And may you find more and more creative ways to encourage churches along this path, alongside their communities. May your family flourish in life and love, as you journey with your wife and children on the road of genuine, active faith. A faith that continues to drive you to the whenua, and to the people who are nurtured by it. And lastly, may you know you are seen, you are heard, and you are loved. Thanks to Strawn for the music and Rangi for the karakia. 
Join me next time for a special episode where I hand control to Kathy and Stephen of the Changes Ahead podcast, and we talk about being right, being loving, and the shifting of our faith as we grow. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatira tanga, kia me atu tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi, hommai kia mātou ai nei, e taroma mātou mō tēnei rā. Muro mato hara, me mato hoki e muru nei i o te hunga e hara na kia mato. Aua hoki mato e kawia kia fakawaya, e ngari fakorangia mato 